The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello, and you're welcome along to the latest episode of The Home Show podcast coming up this week. Would you fancy swapping your home for an entire village in France? Well, I'll be chatting to a couple who did just that. Do you know there's a correct glass for every drink and it's for a scientific reason? Well, Oshin Kelly, head bartender at the Westbury Hotel, will be telling me how. We'll be taking a look at a new modular home development in Mahan and Cork to house Ukrainian families. And Jennifer Sheehan has bought a camper van. We'll be taking a look around. If you'd like to get in touch with the show during the week, you can do so by emailing us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, I uh, have been away on holidays for the last week and uh, I had a lovely time, I must say. It was very, very nice. But I'd like when you go on holidays, you know yourself, a little bit of excess. You do more of the things you fancy. And one of those things, of course, is having uh, maybe a few more glasses of wine than you would have uh, normally at home. So I was off the booze. I said, right, we're on a detox. And uh, and who do I have as a guest today except one of a Dublin's top <laughs> mixologists and bartenders coming in? I may have to revise that, although it is terribly early in the morning to be looking at drink, never mind drinking it. But uh, we'll see how we get on. Maybe you'll have some non-alcoholic options. I am looking forward to it. But what I want to know from you this morning is, what is the one thing you hate giving up when you come back from holidays? I came back to glorious sunshine, uh, which we've had for uh, most of the week. And uh, I was delighted because it eased me back into life, as it were. Uh, but of course, then you have the food and the drink and, and the clothes and all that kind of stuff that has to be done. So let me know what you uh, what you hate most about coming back from holiday. But it's not coming into studio because I do love that. And you're very welcome along this morning to The Home Show. Now, many of us daydream about packing our bags and opting out of the rat race and moving to a warm country. And my first guests on the show this morning did exactly that. Liz and David Murphy sold their three-bed semi in Manchester in January 2021 and bought an entire French village. Luc de Maison is a historical rural hamlet in southwest France and they haven't looked back. Uh, David and uh, Liz, you're very welcome along to the home show this morning. Morning. Now, um, so this is something that, of course, everybody dreams about when they're on holidays. They're looking at beautiful little country homes in the the estate agent's windows and thinking, oh my goodness, what wouldn't we give to swap our life for for that? You did that. But tell us first, what prompted you to sell your home in Manchester? I think it was really down to COVID, actually. Um, But it was more of a retirement dream. And then kind of COVID hit and suddenly um, we were both put on furlough and had lots of time on hands at the weather. And that first uh, COVID lockdown was fantastic. (laughs) And we just realised, actually, that we we hadn't really spent much time as a family together. You know, we, we dropped the kids off every morning at um, breakfast club before school and then pick them up after school club um, and weekends were just full of kind of family activities of you know sports clubs and shopping and you know cleaning the house and stuff and actually we just thought this is the perfect time let's just do it whilst the kids are still young enough to pick up the language and so yeah we packed the bags and went. Davis you're welcome um, what was your life like in Manchester, you both had busy jobs by the sound of it. And and what kind of thought process did you have to kind of get get, get free and move country? So, uh, I mean, we really enjoyed our life in Manchester. We were very, very busy. But, you know, Manchester is a very vibrant city with lots to do. 
Um, so we, we had a really good time there. But um, what we drop in, we, we had to drop the kids off at uh, like a preschool um, club. And then they'd, they'd be in the after school club as well. So we'd be dropping them off at quarter to eight in the morning, picking them up at six o'clock in the evening. And, and we just kind of, once we got off the treadmill, we thought, crikey, we're not, we're not really spending a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Even though we loved it in Manchester, we just kind of thought, I guess COVID was a weird time, wasn't it? Where you could just kind of go, you know what, let's just do it. <laughs> so, we, so we decided just to follow our dreams. And, um, and yeah, just went for it. It wasn't really, um, logistically speaking, that, that complicated. It's just kind of like relocating anywhere, really. You know, buy a new house in a new part of the country or whatever. It's, um, we sold the house. We picked where we wanted to live, and we mm. moved. Lots of bureaucracy involved. Don't get me wrong. So I think the French are quite famous for their bureaucracy, Indeed. and we discovered we discovered that to be the case. <laughs> um, so lots of hurdles once we got here, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a particularly difficult um, a, a difficult move. I'd say no more than had we moved, you know, three hundred miles away. Um, down south or something. I don't okay. think it's any more complicated. W- with better weather, uh, was it always <laughs> yes, was it always going to be France, or did you look at other countries? Was was that always the, the kind of destination you were headed to? It was always going to be France. We'd, we'd both of us in our kind of childhood and and slightly as older adults come to France a lot on holidays, and mm. it's. It was quite an easy, you know, we both loved um, the culture here and the, the kind of lifestyle, but also um, in terms of family and friends coming to visit, France is a bit of an easier mm, mm. Uh, stepping stone for people. It's much accessible than if we were saying, you know, we're going to move to Australia or something like sure, that. Sure, So that was uh, another consideration was that actually it's, it's, it's not, it's far enough away to get great weather, but, um, but, um, at the same time, close enough for people to be able to come and visit okay. without too much difficulty. Now, was your original plan just to swap one house for another house? H- how did it come about that you ended up owning? How many homes do you own now? Uh, six. Right. So, Liz, the plan was to buy something that was rentable. But were you expecting six houses in a village? No. I mean, we, we came from like a three-bed semi in Manchester with a very small little garden and... We were looking for somewhere that at least one or two Gs. And we were very lucky that my mum and stepdad decided to kind of um, join forces and come with us. So it meant that our budget increased a little bit. And so we were able to look at slightly bigger properties with more than one G. Um, but when we kind of found Lac de Maison, it was love at first sight for everyone. We were all just kind of blown away. It was beautiful and it had the potential to be you know, something really, really special. Mm. And we were, none of us were scared of the thought of a project or two. So it kind of fell into our laps and we just thought, let's just go for it. And Now, David yeah, mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier about the French bureaucracy and the red tape and all that kind of thing. When you're taking on a project like this, what condition were these properties in and did you have to do much with them? We were quite lucky. This is already an existing business um, for G. So... Um, mo- there were three jeets already uh, up and running um, and then there was an owner's house um, and then we had uh, there's a, a big ruin and then there was another ruin um, and then there was a big sort of barn that had been converted into a playroom so we were quite lucky in the sense that there wasn't as much work needed as we first thought but when we got here 
we realised that the owner's house, which was going to be my mum and uh, Terry's house, needed uh, a full renovation, which is what we did first. And then um, the one of the ruins, we decided that we were going to convert that into another jeet, um, which took us about nine months. Um, and then we moved into one of the existing jeets mm. um, and are in the process of trying to turn that into less of a jeet and more of a home. All <laughs> oh, right. OK, so it's an ongoing project and you're and you're still there now. Yeah. And of course, you, you said your mum decided to join you. So that that's an added impetus there as well. Have the children adapted? What ages are they, Liz? Uh, they are eight and uh, 12. And when we came, they were six and 10. Um, and they have adapted amazingly. We were really worried. That was one of our biggest concerns was obviously we're wrapping sticks and moving to a place where they can't speak the language and chucking mm. them in a school where no one really speaks English. But for the first six months, it was very hard and they didn't really um, kind of have any language. So it was difficult for them. But um, after sort of six months, suddenly they both started speaking French. French. <laughs> and now they're both fluent oh, and we have goodness. to use them as little translators oh, every now and again. <laughs> okay, so you've got, nice. you've got a little workers there to do that job yeah, we for have, you. you know, we, 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 I mean, Dave and I, have actually, our French has improved dramatically as well because, mm. um, you know, one of the reasons we came is we didn't want to just come and speak English. We wanted to engage with the, the French language and culture as well. So we, we really kind of pushed ourselves but, you know, every now and again, when we have French guests and they've got something complicated, we'll drag <laughs> one of the kids over and they'll be our little translator. All right. Well, very good. They'll be, they'll be spending your money and doing all your transactions for you now. Before long. <laughs> David, tell me, what is your life like now? How different uh, is it uh, on a day-to-day basis? Well, I would say that the, the first and most critical uh, difference is no boss. Um, <laughs> well, obviously, I use that term advisedly. Liz is still my boss. Um, but now I've only got one instead of two, um, so so that's that's better. Um, yeah, it's much more. Um, we're in a situation where the the property tells us what to do every day. You know, there's there's jobs that need to be done, and so we kind of work our schedule out um, as per the needs of the site. So. Mm-hmm. Um, once we finish talking to you, I've got to uh, mow everywhere, and that takes a few hours. So that's going to be um, that's going to be my afternoon's work. Really, is, is getting all the gardens neat and whatever. But you know, you get up in the morning, you decide what what you're going to do yourself. You get on with it. If somebody pops around, you can sit and have a coffee. Nobody's going to tell you that you can't. Um, it's just a, a really kind of we work very very hard and we work very long hours. But the time's our own at the same time. So, and obviously, as you've mentioned, this time of year, the weather's absolutely beautiful. It's probably about 25 degrees currently, mm-hmm. and it'll get up to about 30 by this afternoon. So uh, that's very lovely. Uh, hard to work in sometimes if you've got a lot of graft to do. But, um, but no, it's, it's, it's just lovely. It's peaceful. Um, you potter around. You do your own thing for the most part. Um, you know, of course, there are still pressures, but... It's it's a much better life than we had in Manchester because we're kind of out of the rat race. Liz, um, it sounds to me like you've no plans to return to the UK, but how have the locals uh, found you and how do you integrate with them? It's um, Yeah, we definitely haven't got plans to return. I think we're, we're settled here now. Um, it's been really uh, welcoming, actually. We were quite worried when we came. We're quite isolated in some respects. We're out in the countryside. 
But having the kids in the local schools been really helpful. Um, you know, you meet other parents, and yes, there's a language sort of barrier. People, are, if you make the effort to try and speak the language, they're mm. really, really friendly. And we've made some really good friends. And our our neighbour here, we've got a couple of neighbours um, just down the road who are really fantastic. We've been over for meals. They couldn't um, speak any English, and we couldn't speak much French. But you stumble <laughs> through. And, you know, and it, it's amazing. I think when you put in the effort, they reward you with, you know, kindness and, and friendship. And we've really, really found that to be the case. And there is a, a, a fair few um, Brits here and, and, you know, kind of expats as well, uh, Irish, Dutch as well. And they're all lovely. But it is nice to really integrate with mm. the French as well, because that's what, what we wanted to do. Um, and they've been lovely, really friendly. Well, listen, ongoing success uh, to you. Uh, do you have an Instagram site or a social media that somebody can check out what you're doing? Yes. Um, if you go onto um, Instagram, we're at, um, at Lac de Maison. Um, or there's another one, which is at uh, Family Friendly French Holiday. Um, <laughs> quite a long <laughs> right. one. Right. Um, and, and we've uh, also got a Facebook site as okay. well, which is Lac de Maison. Right, Lack wonderful. Okay, so Lack is L-A-C-D-E-M-A-I-S-O-N, Lack de Maison. All right. Well, listen, David and Liz Murphy, thank you very much for bringing us up to date and making us all feel a little bit jealous uh, this morning <laughs> as we contemplate your life uh, in France and ours, which is back to the hard slog. Maybe you'll have some visitors across to see quite how it's done. You're very welcome. Uh, you're, you're, thank, yes, you for, thank you for being with us this morning. And thank you for inviting us on. It's been lovely. Lovely to speak to you. Did you know that there is a correct glass for each drink for a reason, whether it's savouring the bubbles, the aromas or the temperature. Well, I can't think of anybody better to advise us on what we should be using for what tipple than Oisin Kelly, head bartender at the Sidecar Bar at Dublin's Westbury Hotel and uh, former Irish Cocktail Championship winner. I must say, I've been looking forward to this item. Uh, Oisin, you're very welcome into the studio. Thank you very much. Now, you've brought in a, a range of glasses there, uh, which all look very nice. I'd tip anything into any of them. But talk to me a little bit about the science behind the right drink for the right glass. Why does it matter? Normally, when you're picking your glasses, you want something thin. Because if you have quite a heavy lip on a glass, for instance, like a pint glass, the average pint glass has quite a heavy lip. and um, They're built a bit heavier. They're not as fine. When we're picking cocktails, we want something a little bit lighter. So we'd use something like a crystal glass or something a, a little bit uh, that's that's been refined. And we use these lovely Spanish goblets, which I have in front of me as well. Um, and they're great for this time of year as well. Where you, They're quite large. Obviously, you probably mm. know them, large gin and tonic glass. But what you can do, what's great about, uh, about the Spanish gin and tonic goblet is that you can add lots of ice. Ah, OK. Um, so let me just take a look at this yeah. here now, because this is beautiful. So... Now, this is what we'd call at home a bucket. Yeah, <laughs> this probably. is a large glass that could easily fit into two palms and it is, it's fluted, it's beautifully made. But this is typical of the kind of thing you see with the Aperol spritzer or the gin and tonic with all the fruit and veg yeah, in it yeah, and yeah, all that yeah. kind of thing and a, and, a, and a straw popping out of it. So how does that or does it enhance the flavour then or is it just to fit everything so, in? So so it, the reason it's called a Spanish gin and tonic goblet is because it comes from a hotter climate. So when you have a larger glass, like I said, you can use more ice. The reason why we use more ice is, is surface area. So the more ice you have, the colder it's going to be and for longer. 
which is much better. If you have a small t- uh, high ball, mm-hmm. like the one I have here, which is lovely okay. crystal glass as well, you're not going to get as much ice in there. So you want to be drinking, I'm not going to say faster, but you're not going to have it as cold as long. Um, it's the same with this wine glass that I've brought. If you do add ice to your wine glass, which you can do and some people can do. Can you? Absolutely, yeah. No problem. <gasps> I thought that was sacrilege to no, even suggest that. No, it's not No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, to, to, to have a cold wine, I mean, some people might roll their eyes at this, but some people put their red wine in the fridge. There is service temperatures for wine, which is it's a whole different story that we could be talking mm-hmm. for hours about. But the, the thing about adding ice uh, to any drink is, is you're looking for that perfect temperature and looking for that perfect flavour. And drinks and, and, and cocktails and lots of different things, they actually have their own perfect service temperature. Right, so OK. When, when and we, I suppose in cocktails, uh, Oshin, isn't it the case that you have a mix of different kind of liqueurs or mixers going in and they might all be a little bit different. So I suppose that blend is the important thing. Yeah, so when, when we're mixing flavours and it's it's one thing, we're, we're always, ma- like anything, when you're cooking or you're making something, you're not going to put a, a dark flavour with a light dish, right? So like if you've made a light chicken and you kind of have a light salad or something like that, you're not suddenly going to go for the Merlot or the Cab Sav. You kind mm. of, everybody has an instinct Oh, I'm I'm eating chicken, or I'm having a lighter dish today. I'm going to pick a white wine, or I'm going to pick something a little mm. bit softer. I'm going to pick a light beer. I'm not going to pick this heavy porter, right? So that's how we mix our drinks as well. Understanding flavors isn't it's it's not so much. We all have a basic understanding of what we like and what we don't like. Mm. If it's clearly light and it's going to be overpowered by something, you're not going to add it in. You know, you're not going to add a heavy balsamic into something if you know it's going to kill the rest of everything. Okay. So, like it's really the same as cooking. It's about absolutely. knowing what herbs maybe go with with what, trying to get that balance right without overpowering any particular element of it. Uh, now, talk to me about uh, your favorite type of cocktails. Maybe ones that would work in the summer. So in the summer, you want something with a stem, like a wine glass. And I think the best thing for me, the best thing to do is go to go to your local store, wherever you go, and get a wine that you like. Get a Sauvignon or a, a, a literally a, a Cab Sav or a Merlot, whatever your, your preference is, red or white. Put it in a, in a bowl, your best mixing bowl in the house. Cut up as much fresh fruit as you like. Leave it in there overnight. Add some sugar if you wish. And the next day, 24 hours, the day before your barbecue, you'll have a lovely punch. And you'll have these fresh fruits. You know, you can pick for red wines, you can pick your berries, your kind of darker fruits, stuff like that, you know, strawberries, some wax for strawberries, leave it overnight. And what happens is all those flavors come together and you basically have, it's sacrilege as well to some Spanish people. Like a sangria, basically. And do you drain it before you serve it or serve it with these No, you want to keep the fruits in and you want to keep those things in. And the great thing is, as you as you make one, let's say we make one this week and we use a Sauvignon or uh, something lighter, an Albarino or something like that, we can make it and add all our fresh fruit and then next week we can add a bit of elderflower to it. The following week we could try it with a light rum in there. You can start to, to mix and kind of and, and build upon this. But what you do is you add a load of ice into your best mixing bowl in the house the day of your serving and you serve it into these wine glasses and you serve it. I, I do this normally in the summer as well for, for, for parties. It's, it's, it's easy as well and it's really accessible. And you can take your best wine. You can take a, a wine that's maybe not the best quality in the world and suddenly you have something really, really special. And you're getting your five a day. I'm Absolutely, on yeah. board for yeah. it. Absolutely Fresh fantastic. Fresh apple is very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to go wrong with that, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so now it's Father's Day this weekend, uh, tomorrow. So uh, any tips for what... what uh, 
cocktails? Uh, do do men go for different cocktail flavors to women? Do you oh, know? This is an interesting one, and with glasses as well, it's interesting. There's there's a concept for for us that we say all the time: the man's glass, right? So yeah. it would would typically be a small whiskey rocks glass, and you'll see it around Father's Day that they'll sell all these whiskey sets and whiskey stones. And it is true that we get. Uh, gents in sometimes that don't like to have a stem or you know don't give me a girly glass there's no <laughs> genders in glasses by the way okay, but, but it is it. it is a concept um, I suppose around this time of year like you know it is popular now Father's Day whiskies Irish whiskey I mean there's so many on the market um, and there's so much there's so much great uh, shops around like Celtic Whiskey on Dawson Street you could pick up a whiskey there and is there a nice cocktail you can make with a whiskey Absolutely, and that's a that's a good question. You could make the easiest one to make and the most iconic, and it got popularized through uh, media the last few years and through um, through that show Mad Men is an old fashioned, and it's so straightforward, it's so simple. So if you were to go into Celtic Whiskey on the Dawson Street, you'll find a massive range of selection of whiskeys. You could go in and get yourself some bitters. So you only need your whiskey, some bitters, whatever you decide, Angostura, orange, cherry, you decide what flavor. And then you just have to make a little bit of sugar syrup at home. And it's so simple. Two parts of dark sugar, brown sugar, demerara, whatever it is, and one part of water. And you stir it over a pot slowly until it's dissolved and you have your sugar syrup. Let it cool. Use just a small touch to your taste. And add your bitters and add your whiskey, and you have your old fashioned. Sorted, and it keeps dad so, busy for, yeah, this, for the afternoon. It's so, so straightforward, and it's an iconic drink. It might make you one while he's doing it for himself. Oshin uh, Kelly, thank you for joining us uh, today on the home show to bring us all that. And if you want to see Oshin at work, you can go into one of the most beautiful bars in Dublin. I have to say that I'm a real sucker for the old Art Deco, and that is the sidecar in the Westbury Hotel. Thanks a million for joining thank us. Thank you so on the much. Thank you. Now, a new modular home estate of 64 homes has been built in Mahan in Cork to house Ukrainian families. They're the first of an estimated 700 homes which are due to be built across the country in the coming months. Well, Irish Examiner journalist Owen English took a tour and joins me now to uh, explain all. Owen, you're very welcome to the Home Show. Hi, Sinead. Now, um, you've had a look around these houses and um, had a look at what's available and what's being done. But talk to me first about what the plan is for these homes. Well, over the next couple of days, um, the Department of Children and Integration uh, is due to house uh, the first of an estimated 64 families in these modular units that have been built in Man. They have spent the last couple of months identifying potential occupants that are currently living in emergency accommodation like hotels or, or bed and breakfasts. Uh, they have identified people as close as possible to where this new estate has been built in the hope of minimising the disturbance to them. They've looked at issues like uh, do the families have kids in local schools? Uh, so they've identified a number of potential candidates and as it was put to us uh, by the department officials last week, they sought first to identify candidates as close as possible to this site in Mahan. And then, if they couldn't find enough people in that close area, they sort of looked in wider concentric circles. But most of the people who are going to be living in these modular homes are either living currently in emergency accommodation in the Mahan uh, area, or they're living in the south or southeast side of Cork City. So the people who will be moving into these modular homes, the Ukrainian families, who will be moving in over the next couple of days and weeks, will all... Uh, have been living in the area for the last couple of months since they fled the war in Ukraine. Um, and hopefully the disruption to their lives won't be too severe when they move into these new homes. All right. Now give us an idea of what they can expect when they move in. 
Well, I suppose, Sinead, what struck me when I drove into this estate first is how kind of natural and established the place looks. Um, it, it's, it's sort of got a, a kind of a holiday village feel to it, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of what you might see in somewhere like centre parks. You know, you've got these uh, 64 modular homes lined up on either side of a, a newly tarmacked road. Uh, there are footpaths have been built, uh, streetlights have been put in, hedging, um, copper beach hedging has been planted. Um, and it, for all intents and purposes, this looks just like any other housing estate um, that you might find uh, in any part of the city and county, apart from the fact, of course, that these are, these are modular homes. But the look and feel of it is very in keeping with the look and feel of any ordinary housing estate uh, until you actually get to the units themselves. Now, they're very stylishly done. Um, each modular unit is 45 square metres, so it's about the size of a standard two-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, when you walk through the front door, you've got a kitchen living area. Um, the units will come fully furnished, so the people who move in will have uh, sofas and chairs. They'll have a kitchen table with four chairs. They, they have a fully equipped kitchen with a toaster, a microwave, fridge freezer, um, and then they have a bathroom with a shower and a toilet. And there are two bedrooms. One of the bedrooms has a bunk bed and a built-in wardrobe. And the other bedroom has uh, two single beds that that can be pushed together, depending on requirements, to form a double bed. And then that bedroom has a sliding door out into a small grass-packed garden. Um, The units come supplied with a washing line. And so people can effectively move from emergency accommodation into these units and, and off they go. Um, now, my colleague, Kira Phelan, who works uh, in, in Dáil Éireann, was reporting as well last week that um, the families who move in uh, to this estate, which is, is the first modular housing estate for Ukrainians built in the state, they're going to be asked to pay a contribution towards their uh, their accommodation. Like so a rent? Effectively like a rent, yeah. yeah. They're going to be asked to pay about 16% of their income and they're also going to be asked to contribute. Uh, the, the discussion at the moment is around €40 Euro a month okay. towards the cost of uh, electricity, uh, waste, domestic waste collection and, and internet, that kind of thing. Okay. So it's a, it's like a nominal rent, if I could put it that way. Okay. Now, the Mahan site is one of seven that are being delivered in the first phase of these 700. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about where it is owned because it is, is it on state land? Did it have to be privately purchased? Was there planning permission? Uh, do we know any of those details? Uh, we do, Sinead, yeah. Um, when the state first began trying to respond to the humanitarian crisis that, that arose out of the war in Ukraine, uh, one of the things that it started to do was um, look at, at the rollout of this rapid build housing programme. So it put out a call to local authorities uh, around the country to identify lands in their ownership that could accommodate uh, modular homes like this. Okay. Um, the OPW inspected all of those, but um, nearly 80% of those sites were ultimately deemed unsuitable. So they narrowed the list down to uh, a, a range of sites around the country. Uh, seven were selected to be delivered in the first phase. Mm. The Mahan estate is the first one. It's on a site that was owned by Cork City Council. It's been effectively derelict. It was an overgrown field for the last 20 yeah. odd so, years. So this is one of the many, many thousands of hectares that we know the state owns, um, you know, that may be housed, you know, state buildings or car parks or whatever and, and are being put to use now. Do we know how much each unit cost, Owen? No, the department were quite reluctant to give us any specific costs until the entire contract uh, 
uh, for all of the houses around the country has been delivered. But we, we reckon that the costs of the units themselves to deliver on the site is around €145,000. It doesn't include the cost of delivering services to the site or preparing the site mm. for uh, the houses themselves, but we reckon in or around €145,000 per unit. And how would that compare with the price, say, of a two-bedroomed home in Mahan currently? W- would that be about right or are they significantly cheaper? Because they're I know that, that sounds like a lot a lot less than you'd pay in Dublin, for sure. They're, they're significantly cheaper, Sinead, yeah. You'd be paying about €200,000, £230,000 okay. for, for property in the area. But I think what's really striking about this development and hopefully for all the others that are due to come down the tracks is that contractors moved on site onto the site in Mahan uh, last November and within seven months people are moving in so you know wow. from, from a from a derelict overgrown idle site to yeah. a fully functioning housing estate it took seven months and I suppose the question being asked now that if we can do it for uh, Ukrainian r- refugees then why can't we do it for other Well indeed, oh, oh, correct me if I'm wrong but was there not a narrative when the, the house, I'm saying when the housing crisis started, it seems to me we've always had one but it, certainly in the last decade when we knew we had to build more houses uh, certainly for social and affordable housing, we were told modular homes, homes were the way to go and then somebody did a report on it and then it came back absolutely not, it's never going to work, we can't do it I, like why can't we do it and, and is there pressure now, do you think, on government to go what? and roll out this model, which can apparently be done in an emergency, but yet not for the other emergency that we have? And that's with no disrespect to any Ukrainian family who absolutely deserves to have a new home. Absolutely, the pressure is on. I mean, the, the government has proven itself that, that, this, that this can work. Uh, and in fact, officials from the OPW who have been overseeing the delivery of these units around the country said as much last Friday that, you know, they have learned a lot from delivering this this first uh, modular homes estate, uh, the industry itself has learned a lot from how it's, it's delivered. And what they're doing now is they're actually looking at uh, developing two-storey units that they say ha- have the potential to be used for, for social housing, mm. uh, for um, elderly, uh, for, for housing specifically for the elderly. Uh, now, what's different about the modular homes that are being delivered for Ukrainian refugees is that they don't have to go through the planning permission. There's ah. a special derogation in place for three years that allows the OPW to basically uh, build these units without planning permission and without what you might call formal consultation with the community. Um, now, there has been what you might describe as like a soft consultation. Uh, department officials have been on the ground in Mahan liaising with local services like GPs, with schools, with social services to make sure that there is capacity, first of all, mm. in the community for who's going to arrive uh, and that all the services are kind of geared up for when the first families do move in but certainly, you know, the state has now proven itself that modular that it can be done. does work, that Shocker. it can be done. Yeah. yeah. What, what has the reaction of locals been, uh, Owen? I presume on one hand, they're delighted to get people because there's been such opposition to putting people up in hotels, many of which are unsuitable. We've seen protests and that kind of thing for wraparound services. Here they are. Uh, are. Are locals happy now with this development? Are they integrating well with the families? Well, they're they're planning to, yeah. There there's there seems to be like a, a open arms ready to welcome these families. And now, I suppose it is important to say that back in November, when the site was first identified, there were uh, small protests, maybe half a dozen, a dozen or so people standing at the gate of the site protesting. But I think that protest has kind of faded away. Um, and mm. the, the message coming strongly from the people of Mahan last week from community leaders was that look, we have capacity in the area. 
there was a vacant derelict overgrown site here. It's now a, a 64 home estate yeah. uh, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And we're ready to welcome these people in. And there are events planned in the coming weeks with local sports clubs, open days. Um, and I think, you know, clubs like Ringman Rangers, uh, the local soccer club, uh, home, the, the home club of Liverpool keeper, Creeping Keller. <laughs> you know, clubs like that are, we- yeah. are, are ready and, and willing to, to welcome these uh, people and see if they can spot some more talent, you know. A ready supply uh, of, of footballers and, and hurlers, maybe. Uh, and yeah. indeed, the local schools, some of them may be in, in want of a new teacher and sometimes the numbers can be bolstered that way. All right. Well, listen, we will look... Um, with interest as to how that develops, Owen. And thank you for your work uh, on this in the Irish Examiner. And uh, maybe it'll be a template not only for Ukrainians, uh, and I suppose it just goes to show that it takes a crisis maybe to see what can be done. But certainly that planning thing, um, I, I suppose, can go both ways, but it can be done in the end. All right, Owen English of the Irish Examiner. Thanks a million for uh, joining us on that. Now you're very welcome back to part three of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan with you. Uh, And we covered uh, a few weeks ago, we had Jennifer Sheehan, former Home of the Year winner, in with us to talk about camping and camping out and camping in your back garden and all of that. Well, she has gone one step further this week. Jennifer, you're very welcome to the show. I've had a significant upgrade in my camping experience. What have you done? I've got a camper van. I've got a camper van, finally. It's been in the books for... Years, I would say this has been rattling around in my head and I have finally done it. A camper van. Was it one of those kind of hippie... No, I wish it was. I wish it was. I have a friend who has a beautiful blue Volkswagen classic old style thing and it's gorgeous. But no, mine is is more of a uh, a DIY... I won't say a DIY job. It's, uh, It's more of a... Uh, newfangled <laughs> mini camper van thing that I've come up okay, with. Okay, <laughs> describe it to us. This is a proper car. This is a car. So this has been in the works. I would say this has been bouncing around my head for about two years because over COVID, uh, my lovely mom and I went away on a few trips together and I was so pleasantly surprised with the facilities around Ireland. I don't know what I was expecting, mm. but they exceeded my expectations. There's lovely campsites all over the place and they're really well maintained and Ireland's just beautiful. And so I thought, you know, I really would love to to do this a lot more. Um, and it was coming time to trade in my old car, which was an, o, an 06 Passat. So it was kind of coming up mm. to, you know, about time, about time to swap it out. I live in a very small house on a very small street. So the concept of having a van or something big parked outside my house just wasn't really an option. So I started looking into micro campers and how small could I go really that, you know, and still be quite comfortable because I didn't, otherwise I could just take a, a tent and go well, proper camping. otherwise you're just but sleeping in your back seat. Yeah, yeah, otherwise <laughs> you're just folding down your seat. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I'm not that rustic, right? I, I like my little comforts. Yeah. So you bought this, which is effectively a, a car during the day if yeah. you need it. yeah. And then, what, the back seat folds down yeah. into a bed? Is so I got, I bought, what I bought, I, I, there's a few things I was looking for. I wanted slightly smaller, slightly narrower, or or at least not bigger than my previous car so that I could park it anywhere. It would fit in a, a normal parking space. It wouldn't be too high. It would fit under all those barriers, etc. So what I ended up with was a Nissan, a small little Nissan minivan. Uh, it's a Serena. Uh and then I went to a fabulous group up in Leitrim, Pathfinders. Huge shout out. They could not have been better to work with. Um, and they came up with some really creative ways to fit in everything I needed into this thing that is effectively the same length and width as a normal car. Quite taller. OK, so and it, I, I, you've shown me the pictures now and it does look like a normal car, like a family yeah. car. Yes. Right? As yeah. if you had a clatter of kids and you'd be bringing Seven them Seven-seater, that Grand. kind of, yeah. So... 
so the front of the car is exactly the same. Yes. Just a, a driver's seat and a passenger seat and whatever. Untouched. Now, behind that then, yes. you have like what looks like just a regular back seat. Mm. Um, and, and is that important to that have is that key. fixed? Okay. So that's a really important bit. So what had been in there was, was five seats. They all got taken out okay. uh, and reused. And what's in there now is a what does look like a regular back seat, but it's actually called a rock and roll bed. Oh, oh that <laughs> so, sounds promising. <laughs> so that folds down completely flat and it's very clever the way it's done because the back of it is memory foam. So you end up with a really comfortable mattress and it's about it's about 100 centimetres wide and it's, it's you know, it's full length. For me now, I'm not massive, but, but it's full length But I suppose from a practical view, or technical viewpoint, you need that seat to yeah. be a seat or else it's, it, you're going to have problems. It's going to be insured as yeah, a van. Yeah, this is really then. important. So anyone who's thinking about doing something like this, if you want to use that back seat as a normal seat with seat belts with anything like yeah. that, you need to make sure that it is attached to the chassis okay. of your car. Okay. So NCT have a couple of checks that they do on seats like that. And if you want to carry passengers in them as a seat, it's attached. If you don't, if you're just using it as you know a camping bench whenever you're stopped, that's totally fine. Yeah. But if you want to carry passengers, oh, it has to be it attached. It has to, to be chassis. done properly. Okay. Yeah. And then in front of that, as it were, in front of that kind of uh, chair well yes. is uh, a little like a little primus stove a tiny tiny <laughs> stove and a, and a tiny tiny stink and they I big shout out again to Pathfinders they did such a great job of just putting they found the narrowest little sink yeah. and it's perfectly functional it does everything I needed to do uh, and a small little one of those small little stoves that has separate gas canisters that, that plug into it so you can cook away um, and that is just up against the, the door the kind mm. of sliding door along yeah. the side that opens so you can cook away you're kind of out in the open effectively okay. and it's yeah it's and perfect Plenty of storage then under the seats. And this the is my favourite part of all the things. You would think it would be the bed, you would think it would be the sink. They've done an amazing job with storage. It's just brilliant. Like they've they've put little doors and lockers everywhere. And I, I keep kind of adding little bits and pieces to it over the last couple of weeks as I've been using it. And I still can't fill it up, which is yeah. saying something, you know. So you, you, so, you have everything with you. Yeah, so all the bedding underneath the chair, all the kitchen stuff underneath the kitchen. What I did was I got a great picnic bag you know those ones that come primed with forks and mm-hmm. uh, plates and cups and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I use as kind of my little travel kitchen. Okay. And and actually that's very self-contained and yeah. somebody else has done the work for you there in designing it. So you don't need to design a drawer or anything like that. Okay. It's all there. Now, yeah. all that is very well for a day out, right? <laughs> out to the park, have your lunch and drive back home again. If you're staying overnight, you have another requirement it seems to me <laughs> yeah uh, I don't know how much detail people want to hear about this uh, pre-9am on a Saturday morning <laughs> but if you're camping out this, this is, so one thing I will just go back and say it does have a shower it's fantastic they have I found a shower hose attached actually. out the back it's it's genius uh, there's a water tank that you just fill up from your whatever your garden hose or something now it's not a hot shower but it's a shower and it's you know it really does the job to kind of Clean me off, clean and my dog the off. shower head, for all intents and purposes, as far as I can see, is attached by a sucker yeah. to the underside of the roof. Yeah. So as yeah. you lift the back, the hatchback, yeah. the shower r- raises above you. Yes. Right. And is that, does that work? Yeah, it does. So okay. it tends to splash things a little bit. I have, okay. I have. I tried it on Sunday. I have, I have a little paddleboard and Perry, my dog, goes on it with a little life jacket. And afterwards, it was so handy to, to you know, to rinse. stand underneath it, rinse everything off. Okay. You know, you're not going to probably wash your hair under it, but it'll do the job. What you don't have is what you might expect to find in a bathroom. Uh, Right. Aside from a shower. Okay. So you have to find your own creative facilities. ways of, of facilities of okay. going about that. And, yeah. and as you said, if you stay on registered campsites and they're yeah, vetted and they're known, you should be fine. And there's all sort of, of portable camping solutions for that. So you can, you can get all kinds of waste 
uh, oh, bags, yes. for example, well, that are filled with creative composting solutions. Festivals and all that exactly. kind of thing. That market has really taken off. Exactly. All right. Now, anything, what, what, do you have anything left to do to it now? Are you going to dicky it up, to use yeah. a parliamentary phrase? <laughs> yeah, I can dicky it up. I would love to add, and I'd love to hear from listeners if anyone has a good solution to this. I'd love to add kind of if I'm stopped somewhere for a few days, I, I don't really think I'm going to be using this very, you know, for weeks on end kind of thing. But you never know where, where life will take me. But uh, I'd love to find a tent that kind of attaches on to the side of a car or ah, the back of a car okay. that almost extends it out and you can use it as, you know, kind of like your living room well, or your I changing room. I could probably help you there because we had um, top photographer Ruth Medjber in mm. last year. And she goes around to festivals. She does fantastic photography at, at all the top festivals. Yeah. And she swapped to a camper van because she was finding hotels, A, hard to get, yeah. and B, really expensive, which they are. And she swapped for a camper van and she went all out with it and she has not looked back. I can't imagine she I will. I mean, fantastic. I'm loving it already. And she's on Instagram and I think she has photographs of it all up and everything. So she'd be somebody who'd be able to steer you there. And I'm sure, listen, there's so many camping shops and people are into this kind of stuff. So if you have any tips for Jennifer, you yeah. can find her on Workers Cottage. Grant. Okay. And are you going to be making little curtains for the window? Or I have curtains. <laughs> they made Pathfinders made them for me. Fully blackout curtains. Oh I have had some of the best night's sleep of my life in that little thing. It is pitch black. Right. Can't say a thing. Well, yeah. given the house yeah. you live in, it could act as a whole extra room <laughs> without planning. I have permission. significantly doubled my foot, my or expanded my floor and space. Per- Perry the dog is okay with it. Well, this is the thing. Perry loves it because if you do have a dog and you're traveling around looking for kind of dog friendly hotels and stuff like that, can be not the you know they're not always available. So right. this is a great solution. for So that. you'd recommend it, and anything that you would warn people about, just make sure that when you're thinking about. Have a look at revenue and see what needs to be registered as a camper van and what's allowed and, and what okay. isn't. You don't necessarily have to register it as a van or okay. as a camper van, sorry. For, but just for make sure you usage. get it right. But if you're going to just make sure you get it right. Away. Exactly. Okay, no, yeah. that's good because you, you want to be covered and safe and all yeah. that. All right. Well, listen, that's fantastic. Um, we wish you good holidays. Maybe we'll do a broadcast from the camper van. Somewhere. from somewhere <laughs> on the outskirts of Ireland. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I hope that that all goes well for you. Uh, Jenny, thanks very much. That's at Workers Cottage if you want to check in with uh, her Instagram. And I'm sure the van will feature on yes. that before long. Yeah. All right. And that is all we have time for on the home show uh, this week if you'd like to get involved in the show if you have any questions for us a topic you'd like us to cover something else you'd like Jennifer to buy and tell us all about well then do get in touch 53106 uh, is the text and of course uh, the email is thehomeshow at newstalk.com you can find me over on Instagram also I'm at Sinead Ryan 100 thanks to Aoife Breen producing today and Steve McLoon who is on sound The Home Show with Sinead Ryan with Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.